Good Monday morning, and welcome to another episode of the podcast, Insanity, A Peace of Mind. I am your host, Stephanie. Episode 97, and we will be spending some more time with insecure avoidance style attachment. We finished up talking about a lot of things, but we ended with some self-awareness about what avoidance style looks like for you. So let's spend some time talking about what avoidant attachment looks like in relationships. Remember that we are talking about attachment styles and how these behaviors play out when our close relationships, usually our intimate partners or our significant others, are stressed. So this is when the relationship bumps up against anything stressful, hard conversations, difficult difficulty with child rearing, job changes, um, work partnerships or division of labor, anything that creates some kind of necessary confrontation or conflict. That's when our attachment styles show up. So having an avoidant attachment means that being close to somebody is stressful for you and you would like to avoid or your instinct is to avoid or your patterns of behavior are avoidant. So there are about three things that you can assess to determine whether you have avoidant style. So thinking of the person you are closest to, your significant other or your partner, consider if you are overly sensitive to the person when they come close to you, either physically or emotionally. Do you have any type of resistance, whether obvious or subtle or just a feeling of unease if the person you're in a relationship with wants to get close to you. Do you find yourself being uncomfortable or irritable when you need to shift from being alone to being with the person? Does that create feelings of irritation in you? The next one is, do you find yourself being overly sensitive or on edge or hypersensitive to the fact that they might criticize or judge you for something? If some of these resonate with you, it is possible that your stress levels are going up when you have these kinds of interactions. These are feelings that come up for you 
in your relationships with the people who you want to be the closest to, the people for whom you have and want the most loving and sustainable relationships with. And so this kind of stress makes having those kinds of relationships positive, long-term, productive, difficult. And it shows up in a handful of different ways. So if you are experiencing stress in your relationship with your significant other, and you are needing to accomplish something or work together on something, you are needing to have a difficult conversation or address parenting issues. Maybe there is strain in the relationship because of job or employment stress. And it is important for the two of you to work together. If you find yourself experiencing a spike in your stress levels, you become much less effective in problem solving, in communication, in compromise. Your negative thinking errors become more prominent, misinterpretations and misunderstandings of your partner's wants, wishes, needs, desires, or conversations increases, and you become less present and less attentive toward your partner. You begin making assumptions that go unchecked, meaning you believe things without asking for clarification or explanation, and you begin to look disconnected and uninvested. And so this plays out in relationships, and it doesn't matter if they're new relationships or old relationships. If you are a partner in a relationship and you find it intolerable when you're significant other is upset and you freeze or find it very difficult to meet the needs of your upset partner, or you have difficulty responding to requests of comfort and support. You might have avoidant tendencies. Despite your desire to connect and to support, you overanalyze your ability versus your inability to be a good partner and a decent companion to this person who is upset and is needing something from you. You become tense, distracted, you might be saying the right words, you might even be doing the right things, but you are all up in your head about whether you are performing correctly for your distraught partner. You are anxious, you spend time second guessing, and with all of this stress and anxiety, 
you begin to distance yourself from your partner. You find her or his or her needs intolerable. And the stress that you feel about not being able to adequately meet them means you engage more in hobbies or you engage more in your competing attachments, more phone time, more screen time, more time at work, more avoidance strategies and numbing out strategies because you can't manage the fear and threat of not doing what your partner needs. And so you become less collaborative. You become less capable of problem solving. Intellectually, you know what is going on, but in the moment you are flooded and you are incapable of doing something different. The brain is in threat management mode. The threat is your partner's discontent or your partner's need or want for soothing or comfort. That is the threat. And your stress is creating an inability for you to actively participate. And so your avoidance becomes obvious. Nobody operates at their peak performance when they're stressed out, when they're on edge, or when they're worried about failing at something. And if you are in a relationship with a partner who has some version of an insecure attachment, then both of you are feeling the effects of poor performance, bad problem-solving skills, increased thinking errors, increased misunderstandings and misinterpretations of meaning. And that causes even more stress. And so avoiding these relationships or these situations and retreating into your competing attachments makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Another element about the avoidant personality, and we talked about this a little last week, is that they are not likely to voice a complaint or articulate a need. A need to an avoidant personality or an avoidantly attached, too many words, is really unheard of. It's not unheard of. They just can't tolerate the idea of expressing it. And so they act self-sufficient. They act like they don't have needs. They tend to be very proud of themselves for not having needs. This is not something to be proud of because it is ultimately not true. It's just the idea of expressing it is too much to handle. And that is not a recipe for a close, intimate relationship. And the more effective you are at avoiding, the more likely you will regret it later. So it is really important to notice when your avoidant reactions 
are getting in the way of being a connected, collaborative partner. Someone who is able to communicate and get at the root of what is going on in the relationship. And it doesn't always have to be about something terrible. I mean, stress in a relationship can come during good times as well. So it's not always about negative stress. Sometimes it's about positive stress as well. Now, having said that, we're going to do some journaling. And by we, I mean you. And if you have not already bought this workbook that I have linked to multiple times in the show notes, please do. I don't remember how much it costs, but if this is a topic that interests you, it is well worth the money spent because you can write in it. So right now, I want you to journal. If you have the book, I'm on page 57, and we're talking about what situations or what I don't emotions that stress you out. Okay, so and in that stressed out state, do you withdraw? Do you distract? Are you numbing out? Are you engaging in competing attachments? Do you disconnect from your significant other? What happens when you feel annoyed, ashamed, burdened, contemptuous, demeaned, diminished, disgusted, envious, hurt, ignored, indignant, jealous, lonely, regretful, sad, underappreciated, or worried. So I just went through a few of the words on this page. You will have your own. So the idea here is to be able to connect with what is going on for you when you feel these different words or these different emotions, not words, you can't feel words, but when you feel these different emotions, what is the stress about? Where do you feel it? Do you feel it in or around your body? Get really good at understanding what happens to your stress levels when you feel these negative or not so lovely emotions. And journal about this. Okay, the next one is wants and needs. And so there are certain situations for avoidant personalities that create stress. And so take note of this and write this down. I'm stressed when I want or need support, safety, acceptance, harmony, structure, warmth, stability, to be seen or heard, connection, security, appreciation, consistency, fairness, relief from my duties. What kinds of wants and needs stress you out? The next one, again, you should have a pen and paper because you should be journaling this. And you can come up with your own circumstances, your own wants, your own needs, your own emotions. These are just the ones in the book. 
It is stressful when the relationship requires me to be vulnerable, me to provide emotional support, collaborative decision-making, agreement or accountability, clarifying commitment and agreements, positive ritual and routine, defining boundaries. It's stressful when the relationship requires me to understand my partner, giving or evaluating or receiving feedback. What kinds of circumstances or situations create stress for you? This is important stuff to know. The next one is I get stressed when I fear losing my autonomy, losing my free time, being excluded, being replaced, losing my identity. What fears in your relationship cause you stress? So if you did the work, pencil and paper, notes on your phone, I don't care how you did it. If you did the work, then you have just identified the circumstances, events, wants, needs, emotions that activate your avoidant attachment. You might have a lot. You might not have very many. Again, these are spectrums. Nobody is one thing or is nobody is one is all one thing or all another thing. But identify the top three that cause you to withdraw because that is what an avoidant attachment style does. They want to withdraw and get clear on what those three are because there is some exercise some more exercises in the book that will help you continue to grow in understanding and knowledge about your avoidant triggers, the things that make you want to run, okay? So if you've got them, you're now just kind of going to look at the avoidance pros and cons. I'm just going through the workbook, and it may not make a ton of sense, and I'm trying really hard to make sure that this is just something you can journal. And I hope I'm clear enough. But again, I'm going to sell Annie Chen's book. Go buy it. Okay, so you've got your three. And basically, you just want to know, you want to understand what you do when one of those things happens. Do you withdraw? Do you dismiss? Are you dismissive of yourself? Are you a justifier? Do you explain something not related? Are you an over-explainer? Are you a people pleaser? What happens when one of those top three things occurs in your relationship? And then what's the benefit of that? If your top trigger is being stressed out if your relationship requires you to self-disclose and when you do that you deny your experiences so that you don't have to honestly discuss with vulnerability and openness an experience you had what do you gain 
by denying those personal experiences? And then what do you miss out on by denying your own experiences because you refuse to disclose? And then is there something more constructive you can do? And then you just do that same thing with the next two triggers. Now, like I said, this is just the exercise in the book. I don't care if you do it or if you don't do it, but this is an exercise in self-awareness that will help you get a better understanding of your behaviors if you are an insecure, avoidantly attached. Ha, see? And if you want to improve your relationships, improve your ability to connect with other people, this is an important thing. Okay, if you're doing the work the way I would like you to do it, you've gone through these three triggers and you have asked yourself what you do when it happens, what do you get by withdrawing or justifying or dismissing yourself or numbing out? What do you gain by doing any one of those things? What do you miss out on by doing any one of those things? And what is a better way to respond to the trigger? So you've done that work. And it is important to realize that all of the behaviors are learned behaviors. And it's not really, I guess you're not really responsible for how or why you learned them because they are born out of your early attachments. But you do have a lot of control today over how those behaviors impact and affect your life. So if you went through this and you are happy as a clam with your responses and you are satisfied by your gains, <coughs> excuse me, I was hoping that was not going to happen. If you are satisfied, satisfied by your gains and your losses and you don't have more constructive ways of handling your triggers, then good for you. No change necessary. However, if this isn't working for you anymore, you, you absolutely have the power to change the behaviors that cause the negative reactions in yourself and in your partner. Maybe you are not the avoidant one and you are in a relationship with someone who is the avoidant one. That's hard. And when people play out avoidant attachment patterns, it is often felt by the other person like they are absent and they are not pulling their weight or participating in the relationship the way an equal partner would or should. And this creates a lot of feelings of neglect and lack. Often people who are in a relationship with an avoidant partner complains about how the partner isn't willing to engage in problem solving. Often they have commitment issues. Avoidant partners are not in touch with their feelings. 
they generally withdraw or just check out when things get difficult. They occasionally do things without telling and or asking. They're very guarded and a lot of times they reject their significant others outright. And these circumstances and situations make the other person feel unloved and like their partner doesn't care about them. And it is important to realize that this is not true. Your avoidant partner is not trying to hurt you. They are acting out their attachment style, which has been with them since they were an infant. And so unless you have any experience with them prior to that, this has been the way they have engaged with significant others their entire life. It's not personal. They've been doing this in relationships long before they met you. And that does not mean it is not hard because I am certain that you can remember a time when you needed something from your partner and they were not capable of providing it for you. And that's something that's really difficult to manage. And let's talk about responding to someone with avoidant attachment. So you've got your partner and this is their attachment style. All right, hang on. I am really annoyed with these lingering symptoms and all of the attendant discomfort. Okay. Um, so an avoidant attached partner, the person with avoidant attachment style, the discomfort in the stressful situations in their relationships can be anything from mild annoyance to a panic attack, full-blown threat response. And it is important to understand what this means and what you can do about it. And the first thing is to not take it personally. The second thing is to recognize that the avoidant partner needs to feel safe and comfort and like they're taken seriously and not just criticized for the way they are reacting. And so it is really important to recognize that it doesn't matter what the situation is. It may seem like a very simple thing to you, but to the avoidantly attached partner, it could possibly be one of the one of the most difficult experiences they've had in a week or in that day. And so staying engaged in a conversation or a problem solving session or a discussion about one of the children is emotionally and mentally draining for the avoidant attached 
partner. So be loving and be kind and increase their sense of safety and connection in any way you can. So when you have experienced a threat and you are seeking for safety, there are a handful of things that you are looking for. And it can look like eye contact or a gentle touch, communication in the form of the speaker listener concept where you allow someone to speak and then you paraphrase, reframe, clarify, and then let them speak again to make sure that they are being heard and understood. All things that we have talked about in the past, but this creates safety for the person who frankly wants to run when they're stressed out in relationships. And so if you want effective conversation and productive collaboration, it is your job to make your partner feel safe, safe. And this also means you need to be in tune with their behavior, their body language, their conversation style, the words they use in order to see if they are feeling threatened. An easy way to do this is to think of the window of tolerance because everybody has one. And that is the point at which they are capable of engaging in constructive, collaborative conversation. If either one of you begin to get out of that window of tolerance with either some sort of physiological reaction or emotional flooding, then it is important to take a step back. So you're looking for your partner's optimal state of tolerance. You can notice either them being too highly aroused or too low in the arousal. And this is an indication of their inability to have a constructive, collaborative conversation. In, I'm reading a book called Polyvagal Theory in Therapy that talks about these two states of ventral vagal state when you feel safe and okay in the world and dorsal vagal state when you are outside of your window window of tolerance on the low arousal and you are feeling immobilized and shut down. And so you are paying attention for these states. Oftentimes the person is not going to vocalize or verbalize their distress. And so observing body language, speech, eye contact are good ways for you to understand and recognize where your avoidant partner is. Um, you can do a few things that I will go through that will help you 
attend to your partner. So the very first thing you want to do is make sure your partner realizes that you are coming in friendly. Okay. No accuse, not accusatory, not blaming, not judging, not complaining. Do not assume that your partner knows you well enough to believe that you didn't mean to hurt them when you accuse them of, some, of something. So let's just not do that at all. Friendly touch, eye contact. This is a good way to let your partner know that you just want to have an open, collaborative conversation and you want them to feel no stress or at least not enough stress that they want to run. The other, um, the other thing or another one of the things that you should pay attention to is timing. It is not necessary to talk about everything at the moment that you think about it. So if you can tell that your partner is not going to be equipped for this conversation, don't go in. And if you have to stop the conversation before a full resolution, because you can see that these stress levels are increasing, then please do that as well. And just celebrate the victory of getting through as much as you did. There's no reason to push everybody to their limits. Learn to read your partner's face. I've already said that. You can tell a lot by just observing the other person. Do they turn away from you? Do they fold their arms? Do they look like they're dissociating? Have they stopped engaging in the conversation? So the, this is the polyvagal, ventral vagal, dorsal vagal window of tolerance idea. Pay attention. Be willing to slow down when you see this happening. You might have to employ some emotional regulation, self-soothing techniques, and slow the conversation down so that the avoidant partner is able to trust that you can continue to create safety for them. It's just that simple. Oh, wait. And it is just that hard. So I've just gone through information you've probably never heard of, or maybe some of you have in terms of polyvagal theory. We've talked about window of tolerance, which is a fairly common thing that people understand, even if they've never heard the phrase. And this is not easy stuff. It feels like an awful lot of work. And it is a lot of work. People take a lot of work. Relationships take a lot of work. And presumably, they're worth it. Relationships are worth it. Our partnerships are worth it. Our families are worth it. And once you know and learn the information, it is worth practicing because the more you practice, the more capable you become the more natural these things become and the easy the more easily accessible they are even when you are emotionally dysregulated or stressed and so it is nothing but good and i believe that it is nothing but good this kind of work 
especially if you are to the point where you know something needs to change, this kind of work is your, it's going to save you and your relationships, or it has the potential to save you and your relationships. So we've talked a lot about what it's like to be in a relationship with an avoidant partner. And I want to finish out this podcast by talking about how important it is to be aware of you in these relationships and noticing and understanding your reactions to your avoid to the avoidance that comes and the distancing behaviors that are as a result of the stress in the relationship do you overreact are you able to see it coming do you get support and help from someone else as you try and manage your reactions? Can you take a step back and take care of yourself? I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of thinking around how we share our experiences in our intimate relationships and there's a lot of respect and care and caution about how we discuss our problems. And I totally respect that. And I believe there is a lot of good reasons to be very private about our relationships. But I also believe that very often we do need outside support. So to the extent that you can get outside support in managing your reactions and talking with a trusted friend or a therapist about what is going on for you without divulging confidences or being specific in what the problems are or throwing your partner under the bus or creating a sense of mistrust. I think having support is a really important thing. And that can be another person. It can be a journal. It can be a an audio journal where you talk things through. I don't care how you do it. Just get some way to take care of yourself when you are feeling depleted and you need to be sustained or replenished, so to speak. And I'm going to end this one here. And I know I am dragging out the attachment podcasts, but they are so important. And I do not want to leave any part of this unaddressed. And I am hardly through this book. So I'm not going to go through the whole book. I don't know when I'm going to stop, but you'll know. And if I jump in with a new or a different topic here and there, that's just because I want to. Sorry about the cold. Sorry about the pauses and the coughs and the times when I sound like I'm crying because I'm not really crying. I just am trying to hold in some sort of horrible coughing outburst or fit. So avoidant attachment is where we have ended. Self-care, ways to come in and connect with your avoidant partner. Do these things. Practice. Buy this book. You won't regret it, I promise. And join me next week for something else on avoidant attachment. Relationships can be hard, and this book has a lot of really, really stellar information to help you 
figure out how to engage in these hard relationships in a way that is meaningful. Isaac Asimov said, it has been my philosophy of life that difficulties vanish when faced boldly. And have a good week.